The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome to the Untamed and Unashamed podcast. This is a place where together we can navigate through life's ups and downs with all of the vulnerability, compassion, and openness that we can muster. Along with the help of guests from all walks of life, we'll discover new truths while doing some unlearning, and we'll gain valuable tools for becoming who we already are while also uncovering our divine gifts. I'm Jade Bryce, and I'm so happy that you're here. Today, we're having on a man who spent his early adult life as an addictions counselor and holds a bachelor's degree in addictions counseling. He coaches men in first and second stage recovery using a holistic approach to accelerate their healing and achieve a full recovery from addiction. He is an entrepreneur, men's work facilitator, and mentor. As a leader in the Samurai Brotherhood, a community for conscious men, he draws on his experience in the realms of addiction and transpersonal therapy to support men in improving their relationships and their success in the world. He is the host of the Evolving Man podcast and is passionate about finding new opportunities to support and uplift other people. His dream is to live in a world where everybody knows their value, feels loved, and is in touch with their purpose. Mm. And the work he does truly is helping that dream come true. Please help me welcome Ben Gorski to Untamed and Unashamed. Thank you for having me, Jade. I'm stoked. Let's yeah, go. Me too. I interviewed your wife, um, but it's been over two years, and I know because I know who she is, she's probably developed so much more life wisdom since then. So, <laughs> so I need to have her on again as well. But I, I wanted to hear about what brought you to this work. I know that you have a really powerful story. And I also read that what brought you to this work was partly that you met Shay, that you met your wife, and you felt you had met your match, and you knew that if you didn't level up, you would sabotage the relationship. So I'd love to hear about your story and then um, what meeting Shay did for you. Where did you hear that? <laughs> <laughs> you must have listened to a previous show. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, okay. So, and then uh, perhaps after the story, we can define this work. So, yeah, um, yeah I mean... Uh, to give the Coles notes on my life story, I'm 37. Um, okay. I I grew up in Calgary, Alberta, which is like the Texas of Canada, and um, middle class family. We had our issues. Um, we definitely had our issues. Uh, long story short, I ended up in rehab when I was 16. I actually turned 16 in rehab, so I was there when I was 15. My brother was there too. Uh, our family was a mess. We were both medicated um, for ADD and um, 
is under the microscope, uh, behavior management all the time. And mm-hmm. my brother was in a worse place than me, had been to jail and institutions. And um, it was, you know, it was rough. And um, so, you know, I did rehab. I, I finished rehab and I, I sort of, that was, I turned my life around. I kind of had like a spiritual awakening there and, and started to figure out how to, you know, live life on life's terms <laughs> mm-hmm. and uh, became an, a counselor and started helping people and became an addictions worker and went and got a degree. And I did that for a few years. And, uh, and I made my way out to Vancouver, just following my intuition that, that the woman that I was going to marry was out this way. Uh, mm-hmm. I was, I was, well, wasn't vibing really in, in Calgary. Uh, with the culture, there's a lot of stuff that just wasn't working for me there. And, uh, I was like, I gotta get out of here. So I, I sprung and, uh, I came out this way and, and after a few years, um, really just like through connections of connections ended up being introduced to my now wife and, uh, my life did really sort of take a big shift at that time. I was I was looking for my next level of personal growth, uh, spiritual evolution, let's say. I had done a lot, a lot of personal growth stuff. I've been to a lot of workshops. I had done four years of schooling and counseling. I'd done my own work internally. I'd read a lot of like transpersonal type material and and I you know, I was looking for my next level and I'd meet this woman and like on our first real date like we went and meditated together on the beach under the full moon you know wow uh so you know and i you know i think we were both pretty in the hippie world at that time um and you know we still do things like that um but it was a unique sort of start to a relationship Mm -hmm. and like two months into this thing she says like hey i'm gonna go to this workshop that's like 16 weeks it's called conscious relationship trainings uh let me know if you want to come and i was actually really resistant i was like whoa like this is intense uh to be doing this with you like i was like do you think we're even going to be together in 16 weeks like are you thinking that far (laughs) and she was like yeah you know i do i do longer stints in relationship you're the short relationship guy uh which was true at the time and uh I hesitantly jumped in because I was like, well, I can't, she can't do this without me. I, uh, it's going to be, I'm going to miss way too much. Uh, mm-hmm. So I went and it got intense and we did some intense stuff in there, um, some big work, but that was a fantastic foundation for our relationship. And then, and then we started getting serious. And the guy who was leading these um, workshops, uh, his name is PT Mistelberger. That's his author name. Uh, he's written a, a bunch of great books. Um, he he said to me one day, like, you know, Ben, I'm uh, I'm I've started a men's group. You you should check it out. I think you should come to one of our open houses. I think you'd be a great leader. You know, like he said that to me early on. And uh, I went and checked out an open house, and eventually I I did join. And the guys, you know, we were all sitting in this big circle, and the energy was just like electric in there. Like all the guys were like nervous and excited at the same time. We were all just like kind of bugging out internally trying to stay calm and I was like whoa this is really like this is a tense energy but I like it Mm -hmm. and it came to me and they're like why are you here why would you want to join a men's group 
I, I said to these guys, I am in a relationship with a woman that is, I've never respected someone more. I want to make something work with her. And she is a powerful woman. She's strong-willed. She expects more from me than any previous partner. And I'm not sure I'm going to make it. <laughs> like I need help guys. I need power. <laughs> and, uh, so I joined and, and I did get what I needed from those guys and I did survive and learn to thrive in the relationship. And, um, I really do feel like my, my, the, that men's group that I joined along with the, with the work we were doing in the conscious relationship workshops, which we did over and over again, um, is what got me through that relationship the, the relationship i have today like 10 years ago i was like i would could not have imagined that i would have been able to handle it yeah you know? uh so it's been a, a beautiful journey yeah i love that i i know um i've had a couple of men's work um leaders on the podcast talk about how most of the men come to their work because the woman in their life um, is kind of pushing them towards it, almost like a permission slip. And I think that <laughs> when a woman truly loves you, she can't help but to call you higher and to to push you towards the higher version of yourself and and to nudge you into this work as well. So um, I love that that that's such a big part of your story. Yeah, it's very common. Uh, I, I did an open house, like a for the men's community, we're growing and. I went, we went to this open house in another place and I told guys my story, like this is sort of similar to what I told to you. And there was like 13 guys there. And I think like six or seven of them were like, I've got Ben's story. Like yeah. that's what's going on with me right now. And as I will openly admit that I don't like being told what to do by a woman. Mm -hmm. I don't being, I don't like being led by a woman. I have resistance to that. I, uh, it's it's not that I think women are lesser than me or that I uh, I can't be led by a woman. It's it really just brings up my stuff with my mom and like don't tell me what to do, mom. Yeah, that's actually one of my questions for you um, yeah. because my boyfriend's the same way. <laughs> um, I was curious why yeah so many men have such a hard time taking even suggestions from women and I I didn't know if it was a mother wound or if it was our culture or if it was sometimes that men don't trust their own intuition in order to trust a woman's intuition um, yeah. I mean it could be so many things I'm sure it's situational yeah I think you're pointing at the right things like I don't think it's like, first of all, I think there's probably some cultural programming, you know, mm -hmm. I don't think it's all the patriarchy that's like making us uh, resistant to, to hearing from women. I'm resistant to, you know, advice from anybody, you know, because I like <laughs> want to do my own thing, you know, yeah. don't tell me what to do, man. <laughs> but, and I think there is some of that, there is some sort of cultural programming, but yeah, there's, there's, there's also the mother stuff and uh, there was one other piece that you mentioned, which I really um, like maybe trusting his own intuition, his oh, own. Feminine. Yes. Yeah. Like sometimes I just don't get where she's coming from because we come from such different places mm -hmm. and that happens so much in a relationship. Like we are attracted to each other because we're opposites and, yeah. and like she sees the world so different and experiences the world so different than me. It makes me curious about her. And I like, mm -hmm. I'm attracted to that. But when we're trying to make decisions, I don't get 
how she makes decisions or how she, you know, chooses from her heart or she's choosing like some, she's like channeling, you know, what the earth is telling her in that moment, you know? Uh, and I'm like, well, here, but here's the logical steps for solving this problem. Like, why don't we follow those? Mm-hmm. Um, so there's, there's that too. I'm like, what, where is your guidance coming from? I can't see her guidance system, yeah. you know? So that happens too. And, you know, I've had conflicts about all of those mm-hmm. on all of those planes with, with Shay and, you know, the art of being in relationship is, is, you know, being able to respect, understand, and love our differences mm-hmm. and, and live with them when it's, when we're having trouble aligning, you know, yeah. uh, I always have to remind myself, like, she's, you, you, what you like about her is that she's different than you. So mm-hmm. like, don't make that a problem because my mind wants to make that a problem all the time. We, we always want other people to, the ego is like, well, if everyone else was like me, the world would be perfect. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Like, that would be boring. (laughs) Yeah. I think, too, one of the struggles is, um, you know, a lot of the the spiritual teachings on relationships right now are so much like the woman is the oracle, like she's the voice of God. And so um, there's that feeling. And then there's also like men like Gottman who talk about like the critical dimension and understanding whether a marriage will work or not becomes, he said something along the lines of like, becomes the extent to which the male can accept the influence of the woman he loves and becomes socialized and emotional connection as well. But I think um, something that I've had to loosen up on is that feeling of like um, wanting to feel like he feels I'm his oracle. You know Um, what I mean? That's been a struggle as well. Um, And I feel like that's pretty trendy right now um, as as a teaching. So, yeah. Um, First of all, I love how much of a geek you are. Uh, (laughs) Relationships. Yeah. That was so good. Uh, About Gottman's. I love Gottman's work. Shalene and I went down and did, coincidentally, their last workshop ever. Oh, and speaking of women's intuition. Uh-huh. So Shay and I, three years ago, we agreed that once a year we would go to a workshop, wow. a relationship workshop. And as soon as we made that agreement, she had plans. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, and she was like, listen, I know we made an agreement. She loves to push too. Uh-huh. Yeah, I know too. we made an agreement once a year, but the Gottmans are doing a workshop in November in Seattle and Harville and Helen Hendricks are doing a workshop uh-huh. in January. So it is, you, know, <laughs> you got it. And she's like, technically it's two different years, even though it's only three months apart. Uh-huh. And I have this intuition that the Gottmans aren't going to be practicing for much longer. Mm. We should really go. I, and she was just like, it's just a feeling. I was like, do you have any evidence for that? She's like, no, I just feel it. Like they are getting older. And she made the case. And I was like, all right, I trust you. Let's go. And we went, we did it. And it was their last workshop. It was their last workshop. And we did Harville and Helen. And there was some kind of sickness going around in the room. Mm-hmm. And we came home, we got really sick, like coughing a lung up. Yeah. And that was like January 2020, oh. right before COVID hit. Wow. So I am glad that we went. And I'm glad that I trusted her intuition. Yeah. Speaking um, yeah. of um, 
conscious relationships courses, me and my boyfriend took yours. And um, one of the big things that hit me like in the very first video was when you and Shay said, it's not your job to tell your partner when they're projecting. Like, even though that was one of the first videos out of the whole course, like that one really, I couldn't, I couldn't shake it out of my head. Like I hear it all the time. Um, and so I'd love to discuss this, but also about how at the same time, we are our partner's spiritual teachers and where we draw that line, you know, to mm -hmm. not actually act like their coach, you know? Uh -huh. Yeah, there is a line there, right? Mm -hmm. you know, it's funny, I read the, the, the table of contents in David Data's The Way of the Superior Man the other day, and there's a, a chapter called don't tell your woman to go deal with her emotions on her own. <laughs> That's the title of a chapter. You know? <laughs> Just get out of here with your emotions. Just, I don't know how to deal with this. Yeah, good idea. <laughs> and yeah, it's an interesting thing because um, telling your partner like, hey, this is just a projection is another, it's a sophisticated way of saying like, hey, this isn't my shit, it's your shit. And mm. I don't have time for it, you know? Yeah. And the smarter you get, the more educated you get in the relationship space, the better ways you have of saying, fuck off <laughs> to your partner. Like, I'm not gonna do this work with you. You just, you yeah. just say it in like a, a really sort of woo woo, like, you know, whoosh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and there, there is a balance that needs to be struck because we do need to learn how to like hold space for our partner's stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, we, if, if, if we're not going to listen to what's going on with them, who is, you know, as, mm -hmm. as like, if you're going to be somebody's number one, you know, yeah. like if you're not going to listen to them, listen to their like deepest, darkest childhood wounds, coming through in one way or another, who's, mm -hmm. who's going to do that? You know, you want to outsource that to a therapist, you know, well, your partner might get closer to their therapist than they are to you then, <laughs> you know? So like we, we need to learn how to hold that for each other. Cause we're all doing that all the time. We're all, our inner childs are acting out all the time and, and wanting to be heard. Yeah. And, and at the same time, you know, like I was talking to a friend the other day and, and um, I don't even want to get into the specifics, but like he, he was just, he's basically just going about his life business, doing his thing. And his partner is having a jealous reaction to that. And, and like, um, not aggressive, but it's, it's an intense jealousy. Like I don't, she doesn't want him to, to succeed at some level mm. uh, or to do this thing, you know, wants to sort like, pull him down and you know obviously her deepest longing is not to do that this is, this is like a triggered moment but he's so nice and he's so good at taking on other people's stuff that when he was processing it with me and a friend he was like yeah i've just gotta i guess this is coming up for me because i need to learn how to how to work with it and and deal with it more and um you know I, I tried to reframe it for him a little bit like, well, this, in a sense, like this isn't coming up for you. It's coming up for her mm -hmm. in your relationship. And you can hold space for that. But like, I would encourage you not to take this on as your problem, mm. you know, because 
it's it's something that's happening for her. And at some point we need to when someone's like projecting all over us, at some point we 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 need to fairly explicitly say like, hey, this is not happening. Mm-hmm. You know, like I I, ha- I have a friend who goes out for a few hours with his friends and has never cheated on anyone in his entire life and has never hid anything basically. And his partner, you know, after a few hours is like, he's, you know, she's projecting the worst thing ever. He comes home. She's like, where were you? And he's like, yeah. So I want to talk about that too. Like, I know we brought up Harville Hendricks and he, a quote that really stuck with me that he said was um, about how your dream partner will become your nightmare. And Uh we need to learn to resolve the nightmare without forcing the other person to change. So I'd love to talk about what this means to you, but also how to differentiate between that and a toxic relationship that may no longer be serving you. Mm. Mm -hmm. Question. Yeah. I think in a healthy relationship, um, some people think a healthy relationship is where you just sit down and process all the time. Whenever a trigger comes up, you're sitting down, you're processing. If it's 11 p.m., 2 a.m., 6 a.m., you're going to sit down and process that. Mm-hmm. In my experience, people don't have the energy to do that. Right. It's not always the right time. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you have to say no. You know, I've had to say no to my partner like, hey, I can't hold space for this right now. I, I personally don't have the capacity to, to do this right now. I know you're having a hard time. I know that I haven't done anything wrong here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know that you're, you actually are safe and that there's a party that doesn't feel safe right now. And I don't feel like I have the capacity to help you feel safe. Mm. I, I, I need you to take some space on your own and figure that out. You know, trigger her um, into any sort of anxiety attachment style, or is yeah. it does it typically help her? Usually, by that point, that's already happening. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that attachment style is going. Yeah. You know, um, it, listening to it for me, if I didn't hear some sort of, um, I will come back to this. If I didn't yeah. hear some sort of like thing that soothed out the abandonment wound for me, I would have spiraled into my anxious attachment style. Early on in my relationship, I I didn't explicitly say like, Hey, I will come back to this. I will be here for you. I would just leave, you know, and, and she would spiral and, and, and then she would feel her feelings and we would come around and and then I would come home and she would think that the relationship was like over. Mm -hmm. And I'd be like, Nope, it's not over. We just, we had a fight. I'm still here. And FYI, I will always still be here. Like anytime we have an argument, if I storm out or if I throw something at the wall, if I get crazy, which I don't throw things really, (laughs) but like no matter what happens, if I walk out and you're having this feeling and it's things are bad, I'm coming back. Like I'm just taking my space. I'm taking, I'm taking what I need in that moment. I'm overwhelmed too. I'm triggered too. You know, and I think that just being able to come back and have that conversation has given her the ability that when she's in those really anxious moments that she can remind herself like he's coming back. He's, he's doing his thing. I need to take care of myself right now. I need to do my thing. We're both trying to be secure and like reel ourselves in here. 
Mm-hmm. And I think that's what a good relationship generally looks like. I, yeah. I don't think you should be over-processing all the time. I've seen relationships where that's happening. I'm like, wow, you guys are addicted to that. Like that's its own <laughs> kind of addiction. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you should, there should be time to process and there should be time where you both have to figure out how to deal with your own emotions on your own because, mm-hmm. you know, a, a good relationship has two sovereign beings who mm-hmm. they're okay on their own. They don't, they don't need the other person in order to be okay. They choose to lean in onto the other person, this mm-hmm. interdependence, but there's, there's not that kind of like, you can always come back to yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the, and what Harville and Helen were talking about the nightmare relationship is kind of like, you know, your biggest childhood wounds will be triggered with mm-hmm. your partner, right? But a truly like a relationship that's really not serving you, I think, is one where you you never come to that place where um, you can repair something or where you can talk about the relationship and feel mm-hmm. heard. Mm-hmm. Um, where there's, you know, where it's more like a relationship of convenience. Mm-hmm. and not a relationship that has deeper agreements that are running the show you know like mm-hmm. i think any any good marriage business life needs to be founded on some kind of principles that mm-hmm. that that hold that to the ground and 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 give it like a a forward momentum like always a guiding light you know is those principles mm-hmm. if you don't have that in your relationship and you're not coming back to that um it can be a nightmare with, with no joy on the other side of that, no, you know, repair. So there's no, you know, you know, this, there's, there's no specific like list of things I think that you can create. That's like, okay, now I know Mm -hmm. you have to feel that for yourself. Mm -hmm. And I find that having really good friends who know me deeply, who see me, love me, they see my strengths, they know my weaknesses they see how I self-sabotage. They understand my ego and how it works. Those friends are the best people to help me see things that I can't see, you know, mm-hmm. and that might be about my relationship or about my work life or, mm-hmm. or anything. So I think everybody needs people in their life who are that close to them. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And you brought up, um, you know, being triggered and I, um, I know I've already said like four quotes, but uh, there's that quote by Ram Dass, if you think you're enlightened, spend a week with your family. And I recently went to the beach with mine and I didn't even last three days. I didn't make it a week. And so um, I know though that I've healed lots of wounds, like whole ayahuasca ceremonies just around these relationships. And I've done so much work around this and I still didn't make it three days. Um, Do you feel that we ever stop getting triggered? Is it just a lifelong journey? I think it's a lifelong journey. I think there's actually like, we place really unfair expectations on ourselves these yeah. days. You know, there's, there is a culture of, um, of personal growth and an expectation to like heal your stuff. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, somebody showed me a quote the other day, a man who hasn't healed himself will always da 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 with women. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as though there's like an end point, like a guy can go to some workshop for six months or whatever, and, and then he's healed. 
the thing about that quote is it's supposed to be funny because I think what he's saying is you're actually never enlightened because you're never <laughs> you're never gonna make the week, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I I mean I love that Ram Das said that. Mm-hmm. Because like l- let's just enjoy the journey. Like accept the fact that you're gonna be triggered by your family until the day you mm-hmm. die. Or they die, you know, if you're the last one, you know? And even then when you think about them in your mind, you'll get triggered. Like it's we're human. Yeah. It's part of being human is is this kind of um imperfection. You know, we're we can't just scrub yeah our our childhood pro like the deepest programming in, in our whole system. You just can't just scrub that clean so that you're just mm-hmm. like, oh so in that though if we tr- if like we're pretty much always going to be dealing with these triggers how how are or how has this worked for you where you're able to set aside the trigger set aside the ego so that you can hold space for your partner and their inner child mm-hmm. i you know for me it's uh it's a spiritual practice mm. you know there's a way of being in a relationship where you're where you're sort of keeping score and you're like, okay, listen, I'll do this for you if you do this for me. And mm-hmm. every time you're doing something, it's like you're doing it for them. And I think parents really start to see how that's not a great way to be in a relationship once they become a parent. Because like, oh, here's this thing that like is the only thing it's giving me is like the joy of of like watching it grow, you know. Mm-hmm. Um but other than that, it's just taking mm-hmm. all the time, you know, like you have to, you, have, you really start to learn what that means, what unconditional love means. Like, I'm just going to love you, even if you poop and pee on me, even if you keep me up all night. Not every for... meal I make you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, that, that in itself is a spiritual practice, right? And that levels so many people up in their lives, being a parent, you know, mm-hmm. and if we can bring that to relationship and understand that the whole thing is like a crucible for your own personal growth, mm-hmm. you know, I describe in my men's course about how there's a constant battle between the part of you that wants to like join with another person because this is my Eastern philosophy that mm-hmm. some people will agree with and some won't, but that, we at some level we know that other people are basically god in another body like mm-hmm. that at some level we're god like there's there's like the essence of of spirit is is in us and we see that other people are basically just a different version of us and we want to merge with that because we want to meet the god within another being and Mm-hmm. sort of reconnect like God, God's been split into 7 billion pieces and we want to like bring the pieces back together mm-hmm. and that there's more than just um, like a biological desire to reproduce because like I want to connect with men in a hetero way but like deeply mm-hmm. you know like I in a way I want to merge with them I hug them and I hold them close to me like so there's this there's this constant desire to be close to other people Mm-hmm. And and so, especially in romantic relationship, we literally want to merge with another person, and we literally get as close as we can. Like sex is like 
putting ourselves inside each other, you know, and then we're kissing, like, mm-hmm. so we're merging. And then on the other side, there's, there's your ego, which kind of like is there to protect you in the world. And, and it has these messages like, Hey, the world's not safe. Keep your guard up. Uh, you know, uh, and it, your ego really becomes quite involved. The mm-hmm. deeper you get into intimate relationship, like the craziest shit people do in their lives tends to be in their relationship behind closed doors, mm-hmm. you know, domestic homicide. And like mm-hmm. the amount of stories I've heard from women about, <laughs> about men, I'm like, what? Like women see a side of men that I don't see <laughs> because I don't get into that kind of relationship with men, mm-hmm. you know? But, you know, at one point in my life, I thought every man was like nuts because I heard so many stories. Yeah. Um, so we have this part of us that wants to merge with another and is like, it's this kind of a spiritual thing. And then we have this side of us that's like, no, back off. You know, mm-hmm. I think everybody's had that experience where um, as things, as the person starts to get to know them deeper, they, they start to have more problems with them, you know? Yeah. Like, why am I creating these problems in relationship? I got into this relationship to be with this person. Now my mind is telling me that they're a problem and that I've got to get away from them. They got to, or that, you know, they're trying to get me and, and I got to defend against it. And so your ego flares up like crazy. And there's a battle between your sort of spiritual evolution and your ego. And the key to long-term relationship, being happy in long-term relationship is humility, ego deflation, dealing with that side of you that's making it a problem to be intimate, to be seen, to to be close to another person. And so from that lens, every time there's a conflict with your partner, every interaction you have with your partner, conflict or not, can be made about like, okay, how am I going to deflate my ego? What lessons do I have to learn here? How can I give this person love without expecting anything in return? Mm-hmm. How can I hold space for them? Understand them. Be curious about them, even though I've been with them for 10 years. How do you be curious about someone that you know everything? You know, mm-hmm. but, but that is ego deflation really at its core. So I think that's the essence of, of making something work long-term. Yeah. And I've read so many, um, relationship books. I coach relationships. We've taken relationship courses and still when it comes, um, time for me to hold space for my partner's inner child or trigger, there's this, and my initial reaction is always to shut down immediately. Like it's to shut down and it's like my brain stops working. My emotional intelligence like shuts off. And it's like, I know all the things that would help but for some reason it seems like everything just starts to like shut down and turn off and i think that um, i have a lot of work to do when it comes to my worthiness wounds because there's this feeling of um uh, of it just something about um him having an issue in the relationship triggers my worthiness wound Mm -hmm. and i get stuck there so i have a lot of work to do in that area and i I also wanted to talk to you about um, the us versus them sickness that so many of us have that I saw you write about. Um, you wrote something along the lines of the, the best distraction your mind can create to prevent you from looking inward is to have someone else to blame. And I think that that may be a part of that worthiness one too, because if my worthiness wound is being triggered, but I pointed out at you, 
then it's it's stopping that from being triggered so much you know so it becomes this us versus them thing um i'm curious if you think this is somewhat tribal as well but um but yeah i'd love to hear your thoughts on that and um yeah so yeah i mean uh, i appreciate how vulnerable you've been with talking about your worthiness wound and and um again sometimes i think like we expect that because we have access to like infinite tools like Mm -hmm. all the tools from all the specialists it's like the internet has just made everything available Mm -hmm. to us we expect if we can just get all the tools that we'll just like fix it all you know but Mm -hmm. you know like we were talking about with ram das's quote there is like being a human and living life as a human is just a process and you might have to bring that up a thousand times in the middle of in the moment Mm -hmm. like right now what's coming up for me is that i'm not feeling i'm feeling like because you're having an issue come up that you're discussing with me i feel like i'm not worthy and like i'm doing this relationship wrong and it might you know I feel like I'm going to be dealing with my triggers for the rest of my life. Yeah. And I'm just going to change form. <laughs> and that's my practice, you know? Yeah. Um, and I've seen that in other people too. It's like when you're, when you're, you're traumatized a certain way in childhood, it's like when you're 60, you're still dealing with your, your mm-hmm. adaptations and your reactions to that thing. You can never really like, there's always sort of a scar there. And mm-hmm. I have, I have talked before about like, like really true, true healing, you know, but you know, like they say, you can never recover fully from addiction. And at some level, I believe that. And at another level, like, I don't. Mm-hmm. But I I do believe that, like, you're always going to have scars and wounds and stuff yeah. that you've got to work on in your life. So, yeah. And yeah. Well, I, I want to talk um, about this us first them thing, but you're, you're bringing up addiction reminded me about the very beginning of your story with ADD. Do you feel that being on ADD medications leads young men to other addictions? Yes, for the most part. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, I, I, maybe that's not the right question in a sense. Like I I think me answering that question with a simple yes is almost like, uh, it's it's too simple. It's oversimplifying things. Uh, I believe what what I've seen is is that you know mental illness and addiction is on the rise. In mm-hmm. it's just constantly rising, which is interesting because we're we've never been more connected by the internet and and uh, you know we have all these tools right, but we don't know how to connect truly with each other. Mm-hmm. We don't really know how to deflate our egos and and be fully seen my parents weren't taught that by their parents my parents parents were like calcified like hard as a rock like war war hardened people Mm -hmm. you know and so here we are two generations down and it's like i feel like my generation is just learning how to Mm -hmm. feel again yeah you know and I don't even know where I was going with that. Well, with the oh. ADD medicine, oh, yeah. I, yeah. I don't demonize medicine in any way, but my concern is that it teaches us to need an outside substance to deal with 
the parts of us that don't mm -hmm. are being said not to be okay. But then also I know that ADD medication can also deplete serotonin and dopamine, which leads to depression mm -hmm. and that, you know, it's like a yeah. vicious spiral. Yeah. Our main problem is that we're disconnected from ourselves and we're disconnected from each other. We don't know how to feel. We don't know how to connect. Mm -hmm. And the opposite of addiction is not sobriety. It's connection. connection. Mm -hmm. And so we need to figure out how to connect better. And we don't do that by giving people pills. Right. It's not, it, you know, like a, a lot of children who have lots of energy and who are acting out in school, we need to figure out how to connect better with those kids yeah. rather than just drug them so that they are less active. That's, that's crazy. Yeah. And I, I, it blows my mind that that's what we do. And it, what do we do with our drug addicts? Our drug addicts are the most hurting, hurting people. Mm -hmm. And we lock them up for breaking the drug laws. Mm -hmm. Like and we, and we put them in a place that's dangerous, scary, traumatizing. And then we expect when they get out, they're just going to like integrate into society, right. you know, even more wounded. They're, they're not, they're going to just, mm -hmm. it gets, it gets worse and worse until they're in a casket. And I've yeah. been at a lot of funerals, you know, and I, addiction is not the only thing. It's mental illness too. Like what's depression? It's this like total disconnection from the source of life, the, 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 the you know, from, from nature, right? The, mm -hmm. the blossoming and flowering of of the present moment you know you don't even want to get out of bed the the cure to that is connection too right you know yeah and I mean? you can say you know that screen time leads to ADD but what is screen time taking the place of connection you yeah. can say that sugar and red 40 leads to ADD but what is that the cause of a lack of connection to our bodies where we're yes. taking care of it so yeah I was curious your yeah. thoughts on that um and so we were talking about us versus them. And I, I know you ask your men's group, I think I'm better than other people because blank. And that's uh, such a vulnerable thing to ask um, and for people to answer. And I'm curious what happens in your group when this is answered honestly. Yeah. So, yeah, you, you would imagine that uh, if, if like I asked a group of men, you know, okay, there's 15 of us here, everybody sit down and, and sit like audience style. And then, you know, one guy go up and stand up front and tell us like for real, why you think you're better than us mm -hmm. or why you think you're more special than we are. Mm -hmm. um, don't smile. Don't make a joke. Like d tell us legit why you think you're better than us. Mm -hmm. And you know, some guys, maybe if they were new, uh, They'd be like, I, I don't think that. Like, I mean, you guys are great. <laughs> but in in my circle, partly saying that you're better than everybody because you don't yeah. do that. <laughs> yeah, like, oh, look at you, Mister Perfect. Yeah. So, so what happens? What happens though in a group of guys who who know each other well and and they know that that this type of talk is is okay, um, is they don't break out into a, into a fist fight. Mm -hmm. um, you have a guy walk up there and, and say like. I think I'm better than you because, you know, I'm more fit than the rest of you guys. I've done, I've got this trophy in my life. I think I make more money than the rest of you and I'm better in bed. Mm. And there's a sort of like a giggling recognition to that where guys are like, huh, he thinks that too. That's funny, mm -hmm. you know, and they don't take it 
so seriously. And are, are we allowed to swear on this show? Oh yeah. Yeah. So, and sometimes what we do, that's a shadow work process, right? So you're speaking to a part of your mind that's like, it's not appropriate anywhere to, to do that. It comes out in all different ways where people, you know, are acting like they're better than you, but it's not, it's generally not appropriate to say like, Hey, I think I'm better than you because of this, because I'm better looking. Um, mm -hmm. To equalize that shadow work. Uh, when a guy's done talking, sometimes the group, what we'll do uh, is just say all together, fuck you. <laughs> so the guy goes up and says, I think I'm better than you because da -da 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 -da. and we go, fuck you. And then he sits down <laughs> and then the next guy goes and, and stands up there and says his thing. And there's, it's actually a very therapeutic process. Yeah. You feel much lighter. You feel much more connected to each other. You hear stuff come out of a guy's mouth where you're like, wow, that was such a relief. I actually suspected that he had these thoughts about us or about me. And now he said them and you know, we're good. You know, I, I, we don't need to sort them out. I, you know, cause I said my stuff too, you know, so we've just unburdened ourselves with that and it actually brings us closer together. So there, and Brene Brown's really good at, at mm -hmm. making this point in a way where basically like we need to figure out how to say the things that we think are going to separate us because mm -hmm. those are actually the things that are going to bring us together a lot of the time. Like we all think that other people are like so fragile and we mm -hmm. can't tell them the truth of what we're thinking, or maybe we have a judgment or something, or, mm -hmm. or you know, or maybe we have some feelings mm -hmm. to share. Uh, but the truth is, you know, other people are quite resilient and they can handle hearing our stuff, whether yeah. that's like, you know, something harsh or shadowy or whether that's our vulnerability. Yeah. But it's funny. We have this culture where like you apologize for bringing anything real, you know, like, I can't tell you the amount of times I've been in a, a room with a person. They're talking about something that's going on in their life and they start crying and they mm -hmm. go, I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. What is that? Why are you apologizing for feeling mm -hmm. your feelings right now? Mm -hmm. You know, and we have to say to them like, Hey, please yeah, feel your feelings are welcome here. Like br keep bringing this, do not apologize, like bring mm -hmm. this. But that, that apology is this like, it's evidence of the dominant culture here that like, mm -hmm. no, you, you don't share your feelings here. You, if you share your feelings, you're burdening other people and mm -hmm. don't be a burden. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think, um, yeah, the, that, that question, I think I'm better than other people because blank, I think probably for a lot of people right now, because like you said, it's, it's um, so many people are, coming to this place of working on themselves, a lot of people would maybe, if they really thought about it, would answer that question with, because I do the work and I read the books. Mm -hmm. And and I know that would that would probably be my answer, which is make, feels really ugly, but it is, it's really honest. And, and if we can really answer that question, then it's easier to catch ourselves when we're acting that out, um, especially when it comes to, all the debates with vaccines and mass mandates and all these things, you know, where a lot of us are coming from that place of, well, I, I read the right information, mm -hmm. I read the, you know, and so then we're coming from a place of, I know more than you, yeah. right? you know, so. Um, yeah. I love that. Yeah. Alan Watts, I, once I listened to him describe your ego, like if you imagine um, a robber, 
enters a enters an apartment building and he's like mm-hmm. robbing the main floor and the SWAT team shows up and they bust through the main door and he runs up to the second floor and then they chase him up the stairwell and as soon as they hit the second floor he's up to the third floor and he he just keeps leveling up and up and up and up and up they can't really ever catch him and mm-hmm. you know in this analogy uh, your ego is the robber and the SWAT team is you like trying to dismantle your ego trying to go after it and it just gets smarter and smarter, more and more sophisticated. Yeah. And so, again, like, you, there's never a place to really, like, get to where you're like, ah, I'm fully humble. My ego has been put in its place, and I'm free, and I don't have to do the work any longer. Like, uh, you know, one of the people that I love to follow is Aubrey Marcus, actually, because I've watched his journey for years as he built on it and did other stuff with his life and I've been listening to his podcast, but he always sends these like pretty vulnerable emails mm-hmm. about how essentially he, despite his success, despite all the things he's done in his life, all the people that love him and admire him and think he thinks think he's the coolest shit. He still has this little kid in him. That's like, you're never going to be good enough. You know, he's just like Wah! crying in the corner and just like mm-hmm. self-critical and like, you got to do better if you want to earn anything in this world. Like you're never going to be worthy. Mm-hmm. And how that's, that's, that game is just always um, pushing the outward uh, expression of like, I got to be the best. Mm-hmm. I got to be better than this guy. I got to freak out at myself if I show any kind of imperfection and you know, you got to, put on a show for everyone Mm -hmm. and the fact that he shares that he's always sharing like how his story just keeps leveling up and while his life levels up while he's making more money builds more business he has better relationships he still has this thing in there doing that to him Mm -hmm. and it's true it's what we all have yeah yeah and i think also we all have selfishness but we refuse to acknowledge it. Um, That's another thing that like is really baffling to me that like how um, like for me being called selfish is like the worst thing. It's the worst (laughs) thing you could call me as selfish, you know, because I feel like I'm everything I do, I'm doing for others. But if I really sat down and thought about it, I'm very selfish too. (laughs) You know, we really, we refuse to acknowledge it. And that's, that's a yeah. really weird thing to sit and think about as well. Um, Me too. Yeah. Like I, my ultimate desire is to be like a great partner, a great husband mm-hmm. to Shalina. And yeah, the truth is I'm like pretty much respecting my own desires, my own energy 99% of the time. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I am trying to show up well for her, but like I definitely could do better. And if she expresses any discontent with anything that I'm doing, I'm on edge. And yeah. I'm like, that's my trigger. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you, oh, you tell them not good enough, huh? This is not good yeah. enough for you. You know, I'm not good enough. And, and I can just stew in my head about that forever. And it's, it's not easy for her to work with. Yeah. And it doesn't get me anywhere. And yeah, like you said, at some level, I feel like I'm going to be dealing with that thing at least testing me often for the rest of my life i don't have to react to it i don't have to buy that story all the time Mm -hmm. some days are better than others (laughs) depending on my spiritual condition but it's it's i am a selfish person and i i am quite inconsiderate 
of her feelings a lot of the time. And she's very tolerant with that. So thank you for being so honest. So many um, coaches, I think, struggle to um, need to give the advice of what to do instead of admitting, oh, me too. I'm still on that journey with you. Um, And there's a couple more things that I want to try to fit in if possible. Um, So Carl Jung says that intellectualism is a common cover up for fear of direct experiences. I saw Mm -hmm. you share this. Um, You did a really powerful post around this quote, and I'd love to discuss what that quote means to you because uh, I, I, I often, I think one of my worthiness wounds is feeling not intellectual enough. So, um, I'm, I'm curious if that's part of me trying to escape the direct experiences by like wanting to be more intellectual. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 This seems like it. I mean, yeah. you're so, you're so well studied. You're so like, you're just so well prepared for this interview. You know, mm-hmm. it's amazing to me. I'm like, wow, this one's really doing your research, you know? Yeah. So I, I appreciate that. Yeah. You're exposing, yeah, well, there's this part of me that just doesn't feel good enough unless I do all this stuff. And mm-hmm. you know, every highly successful person I've ever known, if they're self-aware, they have that same story. Yeah. You know, like mm-hmm. I have to perform at the best in order to be not discovered to be a fraud right? or, you know, inferior. Mm-hmm. Or not worthy, of, you know, not worthy of my position. Yeah, I, and, you know, there's this like constant imposter syndrome that's like yeah. sort of chasing you Thanks. down. Yeah, yeah, and I, I have I've, my biggest edge in a way has been to be like podcasting and doing video content because in my house, I don't. It was an unconscious contract in my home. My, my parents never said like it's not okay to be seen. It's not okay to use your voice but um i have this very deep story that like who are you to be anything special Mm. you know who are you to be up on a stage talking about anything Mm -hmm. you know you you're not worthy of being heard and and i'm not going to blame my family for that it's just like all the experiences that i had in my childhood and i still have that now it's like no matter what good things that i do um, that is still chasing me around. I have to like kick it aside and like yeah. switch the camera on and just do it, do it anyways. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I don't even remember what your question was though. Um, about oh. intellectualizing things to like yeah. not direct experience. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. I think we live in a very intellectual world and it's safe. Mm-hmm. You know, it's safe to be behind a keyboard. It's safe to use your words to outsmart someone else. Um, yeah, and like you're saying, you know, it's safe to just rely on book smarts and knowledge uh, to sort of satisfy that that part of us. So it's like, okay, now now I'm good enough, you know. And I know people that are tremendously intelligent like they can just talk circles around a person and they'll impress you they'll put all this stuff up Mm -hmm. but at their core like they're not really a trustable person Mm -hmm. and they're annoying to be around because they're you know because they're always talking Mm -hmm. and um 
and they're not great in relationship, you know? And I mean, there's, there's a piece in there around like, let yourself be a human, let yourself be imperfect, let yourself be as you are and quit hiding behind your keyboard, your computer, uh, books, intellectualism and like step fully into life like become embodied you know mm-hmm. um with my partner when we're resolving conflict i can be really heady and like trying to talk about well no you said this and and so then i said that and like i was supporting you you i know you didn't feel supported but i was supporting you i do support you mm-hmm. and she's like well this is what i'm feeling i'm like well why are you feeling that way and i'm gonna like try to convince her not to feel that way or you know, our, our our conflicts are always a little bit different, but but essentially, when I'm when I'm on that intellectual level, we barely ever get anywhere. Yeah. The key is to drop into like an energetic level and open my heart and and feel with her. Yeah. Feel my stuff, feel her stuff, and like be in a feeling space together because we're not this isn't an intellectual marriage. This isn't an intellectual partnership. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a feeling based relationship. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, we're all, we're pretty afraid to feel our feelings in general yeah. in this society. And so, you know, I, yeah, I think Carl Jung was pointing that out where like, you can live in your head your whole life. You know, you mm-hmm. can, you could be a, you know, you could go to school, learn about something, and instead of actually going and doing something, you just stay in school and keep learning and then teach and then learn more, become a professor. And some people need to do that with their lives. But mm-hmm. th- he's he's pointing to like a, yeah, well, maybe your edge is actually to be in the world, feel your feelings, have mm-hmm. a direct experience, not have all the answers. Yeah. You know, because w- it's another way of sort of spiritually bypassing. You could call it like intellectual bypassing. I'm going to bypass life by just like learning about life. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I think it can, um, there can be the thin line with the relationship work. Like when we, when we are going to say we're going to do a dyad or a dialogue, um, those can be so useful, but, um, me and my boyfriend had it, we were sleeping next to each other and had both of us had a dream that we were fighting and the cops arrived and arrested us and in both of our dreams we were naked so what like the interpretation was there um for for me at least was that those police represented like the the tatkin police or the harville Hendricks police of like this is how you do it this is how you have the conversation the conscious conversation and it's like intellectualizing how we do relationship um when we're naked when we're feeling vulnerable yeah like needing to just feel it and um i think I think I do that a lot too. Like what you were saying is like, this is what was said. This is what was meant. And um, yeah, I think um, that goes back to what I was saying earlier, where I end up like shutting down. Mm-hmm. Um, it, like even up here, it's like, I'm yeah. trying to intellectualize it and then everything just kind of shuts down. Yeah. Um, and yeah, right. Because you go to the place that's like safe. You're like, okay, I'm going right. to go to the intellectual place. And then you play around there and you're like, this isn't working. Okay, this is my, this is my number one. And so if yeah. this isn't working, power down. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, yeah. And 
I know a lot of us, you said, are like afraid to feel our feelings. I think a lot of us are afraid to be alone with our thoughts too. And, and um, I know that in your men's rehab retreats, you know, a part of your healing work is, and just like in shamanism, the rite of passage is to like be alone and really like hear your thoughts, really feel your feelings. Um, that's yeah. something I haven't done yet. I think it's called sh sh Shavapasana, maybe. Well, yeah, well, there's a few different things you could do. That sounds like uh, mixing ayahuasca with Vipassana. But oh, you, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, Vipassana is a, is, I've not done Vipassana either. Yeah, I'm I would terrified. like to at some point, but. Yeah. Um, yeah, and you're, you're in California, right? So there, there's I'm in Austin, with Austin. Oh, you're in Austin. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I, I would imagine there's a Vipassana place or two around there. But yeah, it's. You're just meditating, facing your own mind for 10 days, you know, and yeah. I've, from what I've heard after the first like few days, your mind runs out of stuff to think about because you've just already thought about it like 10 times and there's no new experiences, new, no new input coming in. And then you have to just, you're, you start to like zoom in and hone in on that just essential beingness that just like is there and your own discomfort with just being um, without stimuli and input and stuff to think about and things to do you know um but, happen. yeah <laughs> yeah like, maybe i'll go crazy that's, that's what people think they're like yeah. oh that would push me off the edge you know yeah and this it's it's a similar thing with um with plant medicine work you know like with ayahuasca it's this like tremendously it can be a tremendously powerful uh hallucinogen yeah. Where, you know, you get so blasted, you don't even know what earth is anymore. You don't know that you're even in a body anymore after a while. Like it's mm -hmm. gone. You don't know your name and you're still kind of sitting there. And so that's a weird duality, but it's uncomfortable in your body and it's dark. You can't, you can't really track. Sometimes you can't even track gravity. Like I've had times where I'm just like, I don't even know which way's up. Like I'm floating in space mm -hmm. and um, nobody can come and take that out of your body and just like make you feel better again. Mm -hmm. The shaman might even be singing songs that like seems to make it worse. And you have to just be in that and accept your reality and face your mind, face what happens to you when you're scared. Face yeah. what happens to you when you don't know what's going to happen next, when you really don't know what's going to happen next, and you do feel like kind of unsafe. You have to figure out how to make yourself like walk yourself into a safe space yeah. on your own, and that that takes practice in those spaces. It doesn't that doesn't just happen in one night. And I but. think a lot of people are like they're um, I I I am at times too. Um, they feel like if they go into that darkness, it's going to overcome them. Um, but in, in most of my experiences, going into that darkness was where I found overcoming. Um, but a lot of people, I think, fear that if they give way to that darkness, if they open up to it, if they sit with it, it'll, it'll overcome them. It'll overcome their mind, um, yeah. which is a really scary thought. But I think that that's where the power actually gets taken away from the darkness is when you face it, when you sit with it. Um, yep. Well, I wanted to talk to you about your shadow vows, about why men want more than one woman, about ice baths, <laughs> all these other things. But um, I know we're coming to a close. Um, and there's a couple of questions that I end every show with. 
um, that I ask everybody. So the first one is, if you could hug your younger self right now, what would you say? I would say there is nothing wrong with you. Hmm. And don't ever be afraid to shine. Don't ever be afraid to to be seen. And your practice is is only to you know learn to relate to the world in a way that it can understand you. You know, like learn to express yourself in a way that um, people receive you. You know, because like I've had a lot of energy in my life, and I just like I run, I run into all the boundaries, and I, I, I if I'm bored, I just cause problems. <laughs> you know, just just for the drama. You know, like I, I did that in class all the time, just like throw stuff across the room, like just give me some energy. You know, and so my my lesson has been just learn how to use your energy in a good way. Your energy is not bad. Your 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 expression of that is not bad. You just need to learn how to use that thing. It's powerful. Yeah. You know, but essentially like, yeah, little buddy, there's nothing wrong with you and you're totally worthy of love and you are loved. It's really good. If you could have the whole world read one book, which would it be? Oh, that's tough. I know. All right, I'm going to say Moore and Gillette's King, Warrior, Magician, Lover. So good. That, that book's so good. And I think men really need to understand the different sides of themselves and yeah. how they show up in the world and learn to sort of relate to those sides specifically. Mm -hmm. um, that, that's work that expanded on Jung's work with archetypes. And uh, if you haven't read that book, definitely check it out. Yeah, I've read it twice and um, I still don't feel like it's moved through me. Um, and my boyfriend's mentor mentored under Robert Moore for a while and the way he describes the archetypes. I really want to get him on because just about the archetypes alone, mm -hmm. his understanding of it is, is I feel like um, it's like the deeper cliff notes of the book. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm trying to remember his name. Um, uh, James Frazier. He's really good if, if you've heard of him. Um, your wife's answer was the book about trauma. Um, uh, Our Body Keeps the Score. Oh, yeah. And that um, because she recommended it so highly, I read it and it changed my life. So really thankful for both of y'all's answers. Um, okay, if you could whisper one phrase to everyone on the planet, what would it be? Hmm. Everybody is, every person you see is you in another body. Mm. That's really good. My best friend always says, everybody is God in drag. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. How can people connect with you and your work and join um, the Brotherhood Samurai? Uh, 
in the same uh, neighborhood. <laughs> yeah. So my my personal brand is Evolving Man, evolvingman.com. Um, I've got uh, there's links on my homepage to uh, my coaching, to uh, my relationship uh, course that I built with Shalina. We call it Creating Conscious Love, and uh, my men's course uh, called The Integrated Man, which is like a essentially it's like an introduction to men's work, men's work 101. And if you if you're like curious about men's work and you want to get stoked about it, um, that's the course to take because I sort of just take guys through this like here's all the stuff summarized that I've learned in the last six, seven years and in, in one thing. And then you can go from there and like deeper dive into each thing. Like I do a whole module on King warrior, magician lover um, and take guys through a little exercise there. Uh, so evolving man.com uh, I'm on Instagram at evolving man. And I host the podcast, the evolving man podcast. And the samurai brotherhood is that's the shirt that I'm wearing here. Um, those guys are a men's group that I'm, I'm now one of the, the top leaders for leading the organization. We've got 50 groups um, that's grown quite quickly over the last few years. Um, 15 of those are online, me- meeting on Zoom every week. And uh, the other 35 of them are in-person squads, we call them. And you meet the same guys, same time every week, and you get super close with these guys. And you work with your, you work through your shit with other men and you, you learn to like build a real band of brothers in your life. And it's something that I've got behind, um, instead of like building my own men's group brand, like this thing, it just works. Yeah. And so I've got behind that. And the website is uh, samuraibrotherhood.com. Amazing. I'm so glad that it's become, um, almost cool to be in a men's group. You know, be like a couple years ago, I don't feel like I knew anyone that was in a men's group. And now I constantly hear people, what men's group are you in? Which one are you? Uh-huh. You know, so especially in Austin. I know. I know it's a hub. It's a Mecca for it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, thank you so much for being on. Um, I loved I, I, I had so many questions for you and I loved all the answers of the ones that I was able to ask you. So thank you so much. Thank you, Jade. All right, you guys, I really enjoyed that conversation and enjoyed Ben and his personality as well. Um, I would love to hear your thoughts. If you can leave it in the review section here or go comment on the um, promotional post that I did for this episode over at Untamed and Unashamed Podcast on Instagram. Also wanted to share with you that we have a number of sponsors that I think that you would enjoy. One is a pleasure wand. Um, I personally love the cervical wand. I also have their jade yoni egg. So these can be used uh, for healing the wand, for your pleasure practice, for tightening um, or for strengthening your yoni muscles. Um, They also have anal plugs. I mean, it is an awesome, awesome store. The store is called Wands, W-A-A-N-D-S. And the promo code is jade. And then also higher dose infrared products. You get $75 off any infrared product you purchase with code JADE75. And then the last one I'll bring up is a royal code. That's my favorite thing to wear right now is my Magdalene two-piece. It is like goddess clothing and it's just, you feel like a queen. You feel like the divine feminine 
goddess when you're wearing it. I hope you feel that way all the time, but you just, it's a very like ceremonial like clothing that I love, love, love to have on. And uh, their code on there as well uh, to get a discount, I believe you get 20% off, is code JADE. And if you're looking for CBD, you can go to a website that I really, I really like this website because it's, um, it's not just one brand. It is a bunch of different brands and they, they're really, really good at choosing only the highest quality. It's called direct hemp. So they're, they've got a ton of dif- different stuff. My favorite is the sleep gummies and the body butter. I love both of those. That is also code Jade. So everything's code Jade except for higher dose. That's Jade 75. But they are the sponsors of the show. So go show them some love if you want to check out any of those products. I also wanted to share with you a little, if you listen to the uh, previous show I had, The Magic Hour, I always did a magic trick. So sometimes I feel inspired to do that over here. So I wanted to share a little magic trick from Ben's page, which he calls Love Bombing. And it's a way to have like a conscious birthday. He says, in our home, we do birthdays a bit differently. We found a ritual that is so good, we can't stop. For us, it's about sharing our love for someone in a very authentic way. And it's the best way to honor a good friend. As a practice of speaking the truth, we sit in front of each other and share our love. Words spoken in this way are impactful, healing, and they feel so damn good. Here's how we do it. We have a little party and share a meal, then settle down in the living room for what we call the birthday love bomb. We circle up and set the birthday guy gal at the apex. One at a time, we each sit in front of the birthday person, take some breaths, make eye contact and spill the truth of our love. We express gratitude, admiration, allegiance and support. Tears are often shed. We use a lot of Kleenex. It is so powerful to be seen in this way because we all want to be loved and accepted. Being on the receiving end of the birthday love bomb is like standing in a waterfall of love. It's something you never forget. Instead of receiving some nice words in a card, you get them poured over you by those who love you the most. These gatherings are high vibe and we always go home smiling and feeling full to the brim. We also keep them low or zero alcohol to keep the consciousness level high. I love that. So there it is, the birthday love bomb. Try it out for yourself, spread it amongst your friends, start a movement. Caveat, this works well with 5 to 15 people but gets hectic beyond 15. If you want to have a bigger party, try scheduling a smaller gathering of your inner circle first, then do the love bomb circle, then have the larger group of people arrive later. Share this with your friends and spread the word. So I thought that was amazing and I think it's also cool that like maybe at Thanksgiving you do it with just your immediate family um, if you didn't want to do it on birthdays. But yeah, I love this idea. I'm definitely going to incorporate it into my life and maybe into my sister circle, uh, wherever I, wherever it feels like it can bless the people. So yeah, thank you guys so much for tuning in and being on this journey with me. It would mean so much to me if you would leave a review or share an episode with a friend. And like I said earlier, you can join me on Instagram at untamed and unashamed podcast. As always be a light, stay open and remember you belong here.
Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.